We've got a cool panelist in this week. Akio Maroon is an internationally recognized human rights advocate with a focus on advocacy in sex positivity, equality, social justice, and HIV-AIDS support systems. And I would like to let it be known that Desmond is reading this off of his cell phone right now. Since we're making things public, I'd also like to comment on the fact that Andre's shirt is super tight today (laughs) and rolled all the way up to his shoulders. Glad someone in the studio finally has my back. Welcome, Akio. Thanks. It's nice to be here. It's about time this uh, show has a woman on uh, as well, a co-host. As a co-host, yeah. See, we were working on that. And that's, <laughs> no, actually, no. That, that was some feedback that we got that you know this uh, this podcast is led by two men, which is absolutely correct. And these men have a lot of blind spots, which is also correct. And sometimes one of the two men, uh, that being myself, stumble over some issues and so forth. So it's great that you came on the show to show us how it's done. So I'm here to rescue, essentially. Thank you. I've got my cape on. Thank you. We wanted to talk to you, of course, about the issue of Bill C-36, otherwise known as the Protecting Communities and Exploited Persons Act. And we wanted to ask you why sex work has become such a hot topic again in Canada. Um, I think one of the issues is that we, as sex worker advocates, have force the government's hand into changing this law. So first of all, prostitution has never been illegal in Canada and still is not illegal in Canada. What we had were three laws around communication, folks working together, and the third law was um, living off the avails, which is any money or any profits you make from your sex working, living off that money was illegal. And so we had three brave women. One of those was Terry Jean Bedford, who fought these three laws all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada because they were unconstitutional. Our Supreme Court judges struck down these laws to say, indeed, they go against our charter, they go against the Constitution, and they make Canadians unsafe. And the Supreme Court gave our conservative government one year to come up with new laws What our Canadian Conservative government has done, they've recreated these laws, the exact same laws, and then they made them three times as dangerous for sex workers. So that's where we're at. We've got some guests to talk about this with you. Let's do it. I'm Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land. Commons. God damn it. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's best online audiobook service. One book that listeners of Canada Land Commons might like is Battle Cry of Freedom by James M. McPherson. If you happen to be into politics and history and you want to get into the root causes of warfare rather than just the political answers, this book deconstructs the entire U.S. Civil War and the lead up to it. You can read this book or any other one in Audible's 180,000 volume library for free with a 30-day membership. Just visit audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand to get started. So joining us is Carrie Porth. Carrie is the former executive director of Pace Society. That's a nonprofit in Vancouver's downtown east side. Carrie is also the chair of the board at Pivot Legal Society. She's a writer, an educator, and she's also a former sex worker herself. And she's joining us from Vancouver. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Also joining us, we have Elaine Lamb. And Elaine represents Butterfly, which is an organization that represents 
migrant sex workers. Elaine, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your organization? So I have been involved in the migrant sex worker movement and sex worker movement for more than 15 years in Hong Kong. And I have formed the Butterfly Asian and Migrant Sex Worker Network in Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us, Elaine. So to get started here, I think we need to talk a little bit about background just so that our listeners have some context of this issue. Uh, Maybe, Carrie, you can get us started off talking first about the difference between the term prostitution, which gets used often in this conversation, and the term sex work, and the difference between those two ideas. Well, within the sex worker rights movement, prostitution or prostitute, those terms, we do use them, but we use them when we're talking about the laws. They've become really loaded with stigma, and so uh, we don't like to use those words. Sex work or sex worker acknowledges that sex work is work, um, and we tend to view it through a human rights and labor lens rather than through a criminal law. I'd like to add um, the term sex work. We're talking from exotic dancers, massage parlor attendants, burlesque dancers, porn performers, all the way to escorts, folks who work on the street, and also folks who trade sex for services. We're not just talking about people who have sex for money or for goods. And traditionally, when folks use the terminology prostitution, that is whom they're talking to. Now, Elaine, the legislation that we want to talk about a lot today, Bill C-36, the full title for C-36 is the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. What do you think about the government naming a bill about sex work with this kind of term? I think this is very, very wrong to assume all the sex worker is the victim. But, and when you see the detail of the 336, the purpose is so different with the title. So they are not really protecting the woman, but they are stopping our work, taking away our work and make the sex worker more easy to be exploited and to be more vulnerable. So I think in the discussion of the government, they always said that, oh, oh you see all the women, um, they selling the sex, they, they are the victim, so they are exploited. They are, it's just a kind of degrading of the woman. But however, we see a very different story. Actually, sex work give a lot of agency for the woman, especially I work with the Asian migrant. So because of the discrimination and because of the language, so they are very difficult to find the work in other industries. So sex work actually can give them the opportunity so that they can support themselves. But I think sex worker, especially migrant sex worker, because they don't have the the language skills they, and they don't have so much support network. Very often when they need to work, they need to have other people to support them. So because sex work is being criminalized, they cannot work legally in Canada involved in this industry so that they need to work in an underground market so that it's increased the chance of, of the people to take the advantage to exploit them, but doesn't mean sex work itself is the exploitation. Carrie, could you pick up on that a little bit? I think on its face, a lot of Canadians think that the idea of making sex work illegal is actually to 
protect women. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a difficult sort of concept for people to wrap their heads around. And often when I'm doing public education about decriminalization, you know, I'll get somebody asking, well, if we don't have laws about prostitution, how will we go after the bad guys? And I just remind them that we have an incredibly robust set of laws on the books uh, to deal with every conceivable harm that could happen within sex work. So we have laws against trafficking, um, and trafficking is different from sex work. We have laws against exploitation, uh, extortion, forcible confinement, and all kinds of uh, forms of violence. When we have a special set of laws that's only uh, applied to sex workers or their clients, we set those people apart from the rest of Canadian society, and we increase the stigmatization and their marginalization that is already pretty serious in this country because of the work they do. To to wrap up a little bit more of what Elaine was saying, the threat, for example, the threat of deportation in human trafficking investigation increases women's vulnerability to come forward if they are, in fact, victims to come forward even to sex worker rights groups. And because of the new laws in place, it makes it impossible for women to be out and about doing their work. And I'll use Australia or New Zealand as comparison. In New Zealand, they've legalized prostitution. In Australia, they've decriminalized it. And there's a different area where you would go to Australia and you're able to put up your own ads. Any issues that sex workers have, they can go and report it to the police if they'd like. Um, In Canada, we have to maintain a bad call list or a bad date list where if sex workers, whatever the work they do, encounter any harassment or violence, they report the number to that list. And then we have to go through that list every day if you're a sex worker to make sure that the client that you're about to see is not on that list in addition to all the safer sex measures that you'd have to take in general. And what that does, it dehumanizes these sex workers because they're saying that the police protection, let's put protection in quotes, that is available to the largest extent of society is not available to you. Carrie, it seems that, to my understanding, sex work itself is not the practice that is illegal, but many things that are associated with it are. Can you help us understand that dynamic a little bit? Sure. Basically, it's now illegal to purchase sex, to communicate for the purpose of purchasing sex, and that communication can't happen anywhere. And when you criminalize communication, it doesn't matter which party to the communication, the sex worker or the client that's criminalized on the street. What that means is sex workers are being asked to follow cars into dark alleys or jump into a car before she can assess the client for signs of intoxication or check a bad date sheet. And this is all because things like putting ads in the newspaper or online are illegal. Yeah, and I mean, that's a further complicating factor. But when you look just simply at the communicating law, it's criminalized communication everywhere. And then, you know, when we get to the advertising provision, you can't um, place ads that explicitly advertise sexual services. Advertising is another form of communication where indoor workers were able to set boundaries with their clients prior to ever seeing that client. They're no longer able to do so. And then when clients are calling indoor workers, they're not willing to engage in the normal screening processes like calling from an unblocked number and providing a real name because they're afraid they're talking to a police officer. So what the new laws have created is this climate of real fear 
Um, and when you have stressed clients, the the sort of um, possibility of difficulties and potential for violence is much increased. The other like really disturbing law in there is the one on receiving a material benefit, which has a reverse onus on anybody who habitually keeps the company uh, of a sex worker is presumed to be uh, receiving a material benefit from the sex worker. So hang on a second. So I, I just want to clarify that one. So let's say I have a friend or two that's a sex worker and we just hang out. Yeah. Are, are you saying that us hanging out could possibly put me at risk? Yeah, you're presumed to be guilty of receiving a material benefit unless you fall under a set of very complicated exceptions. It's different from the old laws. So the old laws was um, living off the material benefit. Yeah. And so now it's receiving any benefit or any material benefit. Even if the benefit is their friendship. Absolutely. And what that does is it further isolates sex workers. Wouldn't that include... The child of a sex worker, for example, are they not receiving a material benefit from somebody doing sex work? Okay, so the uh, children fall under one of the complicated exceptions. So if it's somebody that's in a legitimate family relationship with a sex worker, like if she's supporting her child or aging parents, that's okay. What about if she has a partner and they're pooling their money together? Yeah, and that's okay as well, because that would be considered a, a family relationship as well. Where it gets a little more complicated is a business relationship. So sex workers often hire individuals to assist them with their work. So drivers or book on agents, um, bodyguards, people like that. But, but here's the kicker. And provided you're not involved together in a commercial sex enterprise, they declined to define what a commercial sex enterprise is. So I can see a single sex worker who's, you know, paying her friend to answer her phones. <laughs> I mean, when you've got a boss and an employee, you've pretty much got a commercial enterprise. So I'm not sure what will and will not be captured under that. But the effect is making it very difficult for indoor workers. Absolutely. You have issues around communication, communicating um, things such as consent. Well, also, based on what you're saying, boundaries are, are not communicated. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't that sort of what the Cindy Ledoux case was? And I, I really hate the fact that I know this case by the name of the sex worker who was killed and not the person who killed her. But um, that case was adjudicated on there not being an established boundary. Like you can't go this far with somebody. Like, you, someone can't consent to be assaulted to death. Well, and what's really interesting uh, with these new laws is they've essentially eliminated the right to consent to transactional sex for a whole population of Canadians. And if we expect the courts to take seriously a woman who has denied consent to an attacker in a sexual assault, we really need to take it seriously when a woman does consent to transactional sex. So the law is incredibly infantilizing and it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And what these laws do, which, you know, colloquially sex workers call the Picton law um, because it makes sex workers more vulnerable to predators like we've seen in the past. What it also does is ensures that if you do have a client who's not willing to abide by these consensual boundaries that sex workers do in fact place, then there's no consequences because if they have ambiguous immigration issues, they will be deported. We, we've had in the past sex workers who've gone and reported rapes or robberies, and they themselves were interrogated or or shamed and meant to feel inhuman for the work that they consensually decide to do. So that I think economic agency is very important. And the other is about the isolation of the racialized and migrant community. So actually more than one sex worker, they told me when they work in factory, work in farming, they are very isolated. They only 
they really cannot integrate to the Canadian society. But by involving the sex industry, actually they have chance to meet different clients and they have chance to speak English and also integrate in different activity in the Canadian society. So we can see that how the sex worker actually can give the people opportunity so they run away from the abusive relationship at their family. They run away from the exploitation in their working conditions so that they can have their economic and independent autonomy. I'm hearing all of you talk about the consequences for sex workers since Bill C-36 came into place. But given you know, what little I know about the history of our country and our refusal to accept sex work. I mean, was it any different before? What was it like before Bill C-36 came into place for the women that you're working with? So prior to November 4th, which is when the um, the new law came into effect, we had laws in this land that criminalized keeping a, a common body house, which is any more than two sex workers working together. We had laws uh, criminalizing their communication for the purposes of sex. And we had laws criminalizing their living off the avails, living off the, the money. Even though sex workers do file taxes. And there is a lot, there is a line item in our tax reports where sex workers have been filing their taxes since decades. Really? Yeah. Why would the government allow people who they say are committing a criminal activity to file taxes on so it? So isn't the government then living off of the avails? No, Reven- Revenue Canada will take revenue from drug dealing. Yes. Like, they just want the revenue. Yes. <laughs> I think it's, it's the misunderstanding. Sex work itself is not illegal. Sex work itself is not criminal. So I think this is a very important message to let the society know sex work is not illegal. But the government make a lot of activity. What's the sex worker doing? It's illegal. become illegal. Yeah. So sex work itself is not illegal. It's the wrong impression they are criminals. Sex work has never been illegal in Canada. Prostitution has been around since the days of Job. Yeah. And it will continue. And no matter what laws are put on this land, um, people will still find ways to trade sex or sexual services for money or monetary services such as places to live, food, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's almost like trying to say that you want to take all the salt out of the oceans and all the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Sex will never disappear. You just make them become more vulnerable, but we will never disappear. I just want to run a clip for everyone on the panel. What we have is Senator Donald Platt, who's a senator from Manitoba, uh, during the pre-hearing for Bill C-36, and this is in response to the concern that the bill is going to make the environment more dangerous for sex workers. Let's hear that. Well, uh, of course, we don't want to make life safe for prostitutes. We want to do away with prostitution. That's the intent of the bill. So Senator Donald Platt was looking me right in the eyes when he said that. <clears throat> and he... Uh, Hold on. Was he was, okay. you, got, you two were face-to-face when he said that? Well, I was. Uh, this was at a Senate hearing. And so he wasn't seated that far away from me. And he was directing that comment towards me because uh, Katrina Pacey from Pivot Legal Society and myself had just gone on at length about how the new laws would make sex workers unsafe. So in that moment, I was rather pleased that he said that because it was the most honest thing I had heard come out of the Conservative Party uh, since the bill dropped in May. Because, yeah, of course that is their intent. They want to make sex work so dangerous for sex workers and so difficult to engage in that they're forced uh, to stop doing it. What's really 
kind of disgusting about that is those very same victims that they're so concerned about, individuals who may be forced by circumstance to engage in street-based uh, sex work, for example, um, Aboriginal women, uh, people with addiction issues or mental health issues, uh, you're forcing them to leave the sex trade, but there's you're not offering anything to assist them to do that. Um, you know, in the downtown east side, uh, where I worked for many years, I live very close to there. I still have lots of friends down there, including the members of Sex Workers United Against Violence, who are mostly Aboriginal. It's another layer of stigma. And, you know, because of colonization, they're already viewed as disposable in some ways by Canadian society. Colossal amount of systemic uh, racism and discrimination in this country. There's a huge housing crisis in Vancouver. They can't get out of that neighborhood, even if they did want to stop doing sex work. Yeah. When they created this law, they um, had this big, you know, handout package that they were putting with it to say that they're giving organizations $20 million to combat prostitution or to, to help rescue these, these, these innocent victims of sexual violence. When in fact, you have organizations such as Maggie's, which is the Toronto Sex Workers Action Project that does street outreach and help sex workers if they choose to leave the industry. Maggie's last week just got a letter to say it is an ineligible organization for this funding. Well, and I think you might want to add that that's happening across the country, Akio, that most sex work organizations are being refused the funding. Yeah, We've talked so much about what all of you feel is wrong with this legislation I'd like to end with all of you, one at a time, telling us, I'll start with you here in Studio Accio, what would be the ideal, instead of the, the kinds of legislation that we have that you say is making women more vulnerable, what should our government be doing to support women who are engaging and will continue to engage in sex work? Well, first of all, it's not just women who are sex workers. We're talking from burlesque dancers who are men or women. We're talking about trans women. And I think for myself, with my 11 years in occupational health and safety, um, and also as a nurse and as a sex worker advocate, I would like to see rights. I would like to see sex work and sex workers being given the same basic human rights as all Canadians have. Um, when I talk about that, I would like to see work workers' rights. So the ability to work together. Sex workers currently can't form a union. We can't work together. I think that... I'm sorry. The idea of sex workers and union together in one sentence would make conservative heads explode. Probably, because we're talking about giving um, voices to people who the government have created has created legislation to silence. I'd like there to be uh, an environment where... Predators do not feel like this portion of society is their feeding ground. I think we need to rethink about how we think about sex. Why the people can have sex without money? But why when it's attached to money, we become wrong and mistake? In our history, we know that a lot of our society idea and the law have created so much harm to the community like LGBTQ, like the women's rights we we now have, we don't have it before. So we really hope that people have chance to understand more about the, the complexity and diversity of the sex worker life. So because the murder killed the sex worker, the bad law killed the sex worker, but actually the society has the power to change it happen because when more people understand and support sex work, the government have to change the law. They have to 
protect us. We, we really believe the world needs to change, but need a lot of support from the members of the society. I'd like to see the removal of criminal penalties associated with sex work. In other words, I'd like to see decriminalization. But I'd also like to see a concerted effort by all three levels of government to address some of the push factors that drive people into sex work when it's not their first choice of a career. So looking at things like a guaranteed livable wage or an increase in the welfare rate, a national housing strategy, and diverting the millions of wasted dollars we spend on the war on drugs and spending it on drug treatment. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, jumping in on this conversation. I feel quite a bit more educated on the topic, and um, I feel honored to be in the company of our co-panelist, Akio, and a bunch of kick-ass guests, uh, Carrie and Elaine. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. So that's our show for this week. Thanks so much to our co-panelist, Akio Maroon. By the way, if you want to find Akio on Twitter, hit her up at A-K-I-O Maroon, M-A-R-O-O-N. Thanks also to this week's guests, Carrie Porth and Elaine Lamb. And if you want to find us on Twitter, my handle is at Andre Demise. And I'm at Desmond Cole. You can also follow Canada Land Commons on Twitter by searching Canada Land Commons and just hit up the first search results you find. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Norton. And to our other producer, Katie Jensen. The music for Canada Land Commons is done by Nathan Burley. And the Canada Land website is canadalandshow.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you happen to like the show, please chip in. That's patreon.com slash canadaland. And on your iTunes or Stitcher or other podcast service, please show us some love with that five-star rating. Tweet about the show. Tell your friend. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Give us a review. Canada Land Shortcuts is coming up on Thursday, and we'll be back next Tuesday. Until then. Peace. (laughs) And somehow we pulled together a podcast out of this. God knows how. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.